And we are live, guys. Welcome to the show. My name is Ken, and I'm here with co-founder of Staking Rewards, Merkel Schmiedel. And today we have with us Federico, the CEO of Tharsis, the development company of Evmos. Evmos is an EVM-compatible chain built on the Cosmos SDK. And welcome, Federico. Let's hop right into it with some lightning round questions here. Please give these answers as short as possible. So what was your first investment outside of BTC and Ethereum? Um, it was definitely Atom in the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, but before that, um, I was an XRP Army member. <laughs> I, uh, I invested a, a few, uh, I would say like $50 on XRP back in uh, 2017. Uh, but then I sold them after like a few months. All right. All right. And wh what do you think is currently the most underrated project in crypto? Um, I think Celestia is one of the projects I'm more excited about. Um, that's coming out these, these or next year. Uh, I'm not so sure about the, the timeline, but yeah, Celestia is one of the, the big ones that I'm expecting for, uh, to launch very cool and uh which project most inspired the launch of evmos um well i would say of course ethereum on atom on cosmos hub but um also polygon polygon was a uh, big um i'm a huge admirer of their work especially mihailos and, and the rest of the original matic team uh what they achieved by uh it was the first evm on top of tendermint um that was that went live in production although our architectures are very different but um i'm really um i'm a big fan of their team awesome and who's your personal crypto hero um I think Saki Manian was uh, one of my mentors. Um, also, Ethan Backman, who was also my boss at Tendermint. Uh, but yeah, in general, Saki and Ethan have been able to teach me a lot about crypto. I remember remember when I was an intern and I would ask a lot of questions. Uh, very curious uh, about what was going on in the rest of the ecosystem. And they will also always answer those questions with a lot of patience. Yeah, we love Zachy here at the show. We've had him on as a previous guest, um, so uh, definitely familiar there. And Federico, uh, what percentage of your portfolio is currently staked, your crypto portfolio? I would say around 80%. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a huge uh, LP, um, especially because I don't have time to rebalance my positions. Um, but looking forward for uh, some of the integration with Osmosis so that we can uh, finally, the ones that are lazy can rebalance their position automatically based on data analysis as well. Cool. Yeah, we are looking forward to that. And uh, last short form question here. What is an activity you do to relax from the wild crypto markets? Um, I do a lot of meditation. Um, I meditate, try to meditate every day. I also go out on, uh, with my bike, uh, long bike rides. Uh, I'm also a huge runner. So yeah, sports during the weekend, especially, and I try to balance with taking some hours off for myself in the morning and try to 
get all those ideas flowing and then get back to work right after. Awesome. So we are really looking forward to, to hear some of your ideas uh, in the episode today. So we'll talk about FMOS versus Ethereum, uh, dive into the dynamics there, uh, talk like about why should developers build on FMOS, talk about Cosmos, the rationale behind like building on Cosmos. We'll talk about validator structure, inflation models, and like the token distribution of FMOS and then also dive a little bit into the rec drop and mainnet. And uh, we have like 60 people watching live now, guys. Um, if you have questions, uh, drop them in the chat. We'll ask them at the end of the episode. Um, make sure to, to leave some likes. Um, we have 16 people watching, 12 likes. Um, so give us a like and uh, make sure to drop the questions for Federico here. Um, and stay tuned for uh, an exciting episode with uh, talking about FMOS and, and Ethereum here. Excellent, guys. And before we hop into it, today's episode is sponsored by Lido Finance. Lido is the market-leading liquid staking solution. With Lido, you can stake Ethereum, Solana, and Terra while keeping full liquidity via staking derivatives. The staking derivatives you use in multiple DeFi applications to generate additional yield. So be sure to check out Lido Finance. All right, take it away, Marco. Let's get right into these long-form questions. Awesome, let's go. So Federico, what needs to happen for Atmos to overtake Ethereum in terms of usage and adoption? Um, I think in terms of adoption, we have a more flexible protocol that is able to also reward um, users and developers at the same time. So not only miners or um, validators are rewarded as part of the protocol, but also developers who deploy their applications to Avmios, um and users that interact with these applications uh, will be able to be aligned with the protocol by adding earning rewards or edit, earning transaction fees from from the transaction from from the transactions that interact directly with these applications. Um, that being said, I don't think that we're going to be like a direct competitor to Ethereum in the sense of well, Ethereum of course has a lot of developer mindshare, and we're expecting also to. Um, share a lot of that mindset and expand, especially in terms of um, outreach from these ERC-20 uh, um, assets into the rest of the Cosmos ecosystem. So I think our flexibility of our token model and also our, um, our interoperability component is going to be, are going to be the key functionalities that we're looking for in order to get a lot of adoption from developers and users. Okay, and uh, knowing that you're not a direct competitor with Ethereum, I wonder if you could just explain what is the biggest differ differentiator between Evmos and Ethereum? Well, first of all, it's a consensus algorithm. Um, we, we're using Tendermint, so that makes uh, our transactions uh, completely um, uh, deriving the security from Tendermint Core, which provides all the five finality functionalities um, that we're already familiar with in the Cosmos ecosystem. So you don't have to wait for the confirmation period. Um, the mempool is also different. So the transactions when, um, when they're submitted to the node, uh, they get queued in a FIFO queue. So uh, that reduces the probability of 
um, uh, a priority mempool, which is the one that Ethereum uses. Um, so that, that also reduces the probability of MEV attacks. And then our most distinctive uh, functionality is, of course, the Cosmos SDK that um, gives us all the modularity and also the interoperability component um, in order to make the smart contracts and the EVM interoperable with the rest of the ecosystem. Awesome. And so in, like, considering like Ethereum has a, has a very strong brand name and they have a lot of the developer mind share and everything like you mentioned, um, how, how do you think um, were the dynamics between like FMORS or like people wanting to build on FMORS or Ethereum, how, how would that play out? And how, how do you see the dynamics between these types of shares? Like if you say this is not like a, a direct competitor, uh, um, how, how do you see them to like, close, like, yeah, next, next to each other existing kind of, yeah. So I think like the mo there are already established protocols and DeFi applications already deployed on Ethereum. Um, the ones that we call blue chip applications, um, like Uniswap, Sushi, and the ones that are starting to now migrate uh, through their multi-chain strategy into different EVM chains. Um, I wouldn't expect them to completely leave Ethereum on because Ethereum is a chain that has the most liquidity at the moment um, in order to interact with these smart contracts, uh, especially for DeFi. And the core functionality that we're looking to leverage in our uh, for developers in this particular case is the access of liquidity, not only in our chain, but in the rest of the Cosmos ecosystem through interoperability. That's one thing. Um, through, so that all the interoperability, not only from Ethereum, but will be able to come from all these different EVM chains and also from Cosmos Hub, Osmosis, Gino, and all these other EVM chains. Um, so even though we might not have the same amount of liquidity as Ethereum, we will be able to bring all this liquidity from different sources. And then we have our token model, which will provide additional income from the core protocol teams. So new teams trying to bootstrap their uh, projects um, will be able to deploy on Evmos and then get half of the transaction fees of all the users that interact with those protocols. And then the users that interact with their applications, if they're popular enough, they will be able to um, be voted through governance and all the users that interact with these applications will be eligible for uh, usage rewards. So the more that you, the more gas you spend on these applications as part of your daily interactions, you'll be getting uh, rewards. Same, it's the same model basically as the one that Osmosis implements with LP incentives for um, for liquidity pools, but applied specifically to smart contracts. Wow, that seems uh, quite innovative there, the, the usage rewards aspect. And it kind of almost aligns with how you guys organize the rec drop as well. Um, so really interesting. We'll get into that a little bit later sure. here in the episode. Um, so let's talk about a little bit about the developer experience building on Evmos. How does that compare to Ethereum? 
are we still talking about solidity as a developer language or uh, what does it what does it look like for someone who's been building on Ethereum for a long time and now wants to build on Evmos? So the Ethereum experience or the EVM smart contract development experience is the same one as Ethereum. Um, you would expect to use the same tools on the same on the same uh, utility uh, CLI for your smart contract, um, uh, security tools, etc., in order to deploy your smart contract to Evmos and to the Evmos testnet as well. Uh, now that being said, it's a completely different experience in terms of the IBC interaction because now your token is also available to the rest of the Cosmos ecosystem. And for the user, that means that they need to be able to sign their transactions using MetaMask, um, like like the um, all the rest of the EVM ecosystem. But now those uh, transactions need to also interact with, or or those ERC20 tokens need to also be able to interact with the rest of the Cosmos ecosystem. Um, so that's why we enabled EIP 712, which is a meta transaction standard, so that you can sign IVC transfers directly using MetaMask. And also, Kepler will be able to sign um, ERC20 uh, Ethereum transactions directly. So, we're bringing and merging the user experience from the Cosmos ecosystem and from Ethereum the ecosystem into a single one so that the user can have the best user experience possible. Awesome. And so, like, to just to reiterate that again, like, how, how do you attract Ethereum developers to build on Avmos? Like, you, you mentioned there's like access to the whole liquidity pool across like the entire Cosmos ecosystem. Um, is that like uh, one of the main considerations for developer to, to build on Ethereum compared to, or like build on Avmos compared to Ethereum today? Or um, what are other considerations kind of, um, yeah. Yeah, as I mentioned before, the, the main component is the fee split. So 50% of the transaction fee will go to the developer instead of commonly it's 100% that goes to the validator or the miner in Ethereum. Um, or validator in the case of, for example, Polygon. Um, but 50% of those transaction fees will be going directly to the smart contract that the transaction is targeting. Um, so if you're interacting with, for example, Aave, um, the Aave protocol will get 50% um, of the transaction fees of all the transactions that interact with the Aave smart contracts. And then you have, yes? Uh, yeah, I just want to, is that like a, a fixed amount? So it's 50% like across all smart contracts or it's something developers can basically like adjust uh, within each contract to like have a different percentage or is it like on the protocol level set? It's a protocol level. It's a, a chain parameter that can be changed through a governance uh, parameter proposal. So if the users of the network decide to bump that amount to 60%, to the developers and 40% to the validators, they can also choose that as long as the rest of the ecosystem is uh, okay with that. Um, yeah. Very cool to see that the uh, the governance system is being used to direct that at a protocol level as well. Um, definitely gives more power to the users. Um, so which projects are building already on Evmos? We know the chain is currently paused, but Maybe you're dialed into what's coming up or any announcements soon or any projects you're aware of. Maybe some of the blue chips that will 
uh, eventually be building on Evmos as well. Yeah, the, the main blue chip that is going to be deploying is uh, Aave Protocol. So Aave will be deploying their E3 um, version to Evmos as soon as we go live. Um, then we have a bunch of um, blue chips that are more on the infrastructure side, like the Graph Protocol. And then we also have Oracles like Uma. And in terms of the ecosystem dApps, uh, we have a lot of new applications being deployed, like like we saw in the Terra ecosystem, when all of these projects like Anpor or Mirror starting to get deployed to Terra. Um, we have a lot of them being deployed to Evmos initially, like for example, Diffusion, Chorus, Crossland, um, Evmos Galaxy, we even have a Shiva protocol, like a Shiva contract. Uh, Frax, also, that's another blue chip. Um, a balancer for, for, for example. And then, yeah, we have a, also a bunch of gaming and NFT uh, product, uh, projects, like the Evmos Punks, Evmosians, like um, Emotions is like an alien. Uh, NFT project. We also have uh, space apes, which are like the yeah, like poor apes kind of stuff, but for space, and they will be deploying directly to out uh, to Evmos. And those are new projects uh, that have never been deployed before, and they will be deploying on Evmos. Yeah, and I know just uh, following on Twitter, a lot of these projects are actually going to stake drop Evmos stakers as well. So another reason uh, to want to stake as soon as possible on Evmos. Exactly. Really, really exciting. So um, to to uh, dive a little bit in, into the history of Evmos, like when did you actually decide to build Evmos and where did that inspiration come from? Like you're, you're really like innovating on, on a lot of different areas here with the like token distribution and, and everything. Um, like, yeah, when, when did you start and how did that start as like, yeah, when, when did the idea come up? Um, when was Avmos born in your mind kind of? Um, so the team was funded last year through Proposal 44 in the Cosmos Hub. Um, that was back in April. Uh, but before that, I've been working on numerous protocols in the Cosmos ecosystem. I was part of the uh, core team that shipped the Cosmos Hub, as well as Gaia. Uh, well, Gaia and the Cosmos Hub, but also the IBC protocol. And I've also worked on different protocols like Kava, Sommelier, etc. Um, even the Gravity Bridge before it was rebranded to Gravity. Uh, the old name was Peggy. Um, so when I was working on Ethermint back in 2020, as part of another team, um, I decided to prioritize this work because even though it's, it's been a long project, um, that started back in October, 2016, um, I thought the original scope of work was not enough. Um, so the initial vision of just an EVM chain on top of Tendermint had to be increased uh, in order to support all the interoperability functionalities that we wanted, to support all the novel tokenomics that we wanted. We knew that we could create a better protocol for developers 
that was more like a marketplace, a decentralized marketplace for applications um, so that developers can deploy their applications and users will pay um, the developers through their transaction fees. And that was a model that was um, that we first introduced uh, with the launch of Evmos. And I think that's really strong uh, in terms of what we wanted to achieve throughout this uh, past year. Yeah, definitely. It's it's strong when attract, attracting developers, I would imagine, as well. And talking about the go-to-market strategy for Evmos, could you just enlighten us a little bit on uh, what exactly was your go-to-market strategy or is your go-to-market strategy? Yeah, so the go-to-market strategy um, relies heavily on the um, token economics and the modularity that the SAK gives us. Um, we think Evmos is the next frontier for the EVM and for smart contract development. Not only because it allows developers to also get part of the transaction fees and it's cheaper for them because of the low fees and they will be able to get more out of their deployment on Evmos because they will getting 50% of the transaction fees, but it's also gonna give them access not only to the single state machine that is Evmos, but they will give access, it will give access to the rest of the Cosmos ecosystem and to the rest of the EVM ecosystem. So just by deploying their applications to Evmos gives them automatically access to the rest of the ecosystem. So more or less, that's the pitch that we've been trying to sell. Um, a new EVM, the next frontier for smart contract development. And basically, everything has been set in place. We've been working so hard for a lot of years, building the core uh, infrastructure. I've worked in the Cosmos SDK for more than four years and the IVC team for like two years now. And um, also worked on Etherman, which is a precursor of Evmos, the former name uh, without this included scope of interoperability. So we wanted to set every single layer in place so that now we're ready to showcase a world where we would build, which is this novel EVM with novel tokenomics that automatically aligns validators, users, developers um, with the protocol. So that's more or less the go-to-market that we're trying to sell here. That's cool. Yeah, I, I, I really like the tokenomics, especially um, for the go-to-market. Go it makes a ton of sense, also attracting the developers with the fee split and so on. Um, so I'm wondering, like, is there, like, can you imagine any kind of scenario where you, you would have built, like, an alternative EVM on Polkadot instead of Cosmos? I mean, obviously, you've been involved with the Cosmos ecosystem for a very long while, and, um, like, you, are, you, you very have your, your, your mind share there, and, um, but... Do you, do you think there's like any way you, you could have built on Polkadot or like um, if if not, then why not kind of? Um, not necessarily in Polkadot because I don't believe in the vision of having like a single chain uh, necessarily that is the one providing all the security. Um, I like the idea of having sovereign chains being able to communicate through a protocol that enables interoperability between them. I like the idea, I like 
what I like about Polkadot is the uh, ease of deploying the applications. So you don't need to bootstrap a whole validator set and bootstrap all the um, tooling like explorers, wallets, etc. Like you, when you launch a new chain, you need to talk with all these providers in order to support your chain. You need to talk to Minskin. You need to talk to Block, um, to node operators like Block Demon or or validators uh, that can provide uh, RPCs not only for yourself, for your team, but also for developers who wanna uh, use these RPC freely in order to deploy their uh, smart contracts to the testnet. Um, and so you need to build all these relationships. And for that reason, sometimes um, all these alternative chains that have shared security or or same with Ethereum, it's really easy to just deploy a smart contract to the testnet and then launch mainnet once you have it ready. Um, whereas in the Cosmos ecosystem, you need to build it from scratch. Now it's way easier because there's like scaffolding tools Etc. But you need to still build all these relationships with the clients and tool uh, providers. Um, and back to the original question: If I will build necessarily in these protocols, I would say no. But mostly because I've been working in the Cosmos ecosystem for so long. I I once talked with Mihailo about joining the Polygon team uh, before I started. Evmos. Uh, so when, when I was still working on Ethermint as part of the uh, company that was a steel contractor, I was talking with Mihailo about like um, joining the Polygon team and helping Polygon back in the days, which also could have been a great offer uh, and a great opportunity for myself. But I wanted to build uh, something from scratch, and I uh, and I saw that this product has been for so long in the works, and I really wanted to ship it. And I think the the idea of uh, novel tokenomics and also like interoperability built at the core of the protocol was uh, an opportunity that I wouldn't have had if it wasn't for for my team and the, the support of the whole Cosmos ecosystem, um, especially with Proposal Forty Four. Yeah, and that's a it's a really cool story to see the support of the community with Proposal Forty Four there uh, backing you guys initially. And uh, getting into some of the specifications around validators that support Evmos. So the minimum commission rate for validators is 5%. And this is hard-coded on the protocol level. Why did you yes. decide to establish that? Um, so we talked with a few protocols and a lot of, and, and a lot of them are... So I, I personally know a lot of validators that were able to um, get infrastructure more or less for free in order to bootstrap their validators. So their costs were really low. So they didn't mind having 0% commission for a few months and then get to the top 15, top 20 um, uh, on the validator set and then kind of like bump their commission on their outer just after a few months. And um, yeah, that was, that was one of the reasons we want, we didn't want to uh, have some of the validators um, have a like unfair advantage. Um, I think the minimum commission of 5% 
is fairly standard. Osmosis, I think, also has 5% minimum commission. And the other thing was to align the validators. I think it wouldn't be fair for the like a validator to run all the operators. So some of them already have one validators and a few validators also provide um, validator services for other parties um, through hosted services. Um, so that's when they also have sometimes provide 0% commission because that's like their second validator that they're providing a service for another person. So they're getting all the 50% of the transaction fees or like, uh, I don't know. Um, so defining a minimum commission would said, um, would create some alignment between all the validators running on the chain. That makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's definitely helps in terms of decentralization and not pricing out like smaller operators and so on. Um, so going back a little bit to like the uh, token redistribution uh, for developers, um, I think this is referring to like um, the EIP 1559 that you implemented, but without the burn mechanism, but like the, the tokens are not burned, but being redistributed to the developers. Is that right? Yeah, so um, the tokens, 50% go, as I mentioned, to the developers and 50% go to the pool of validators, uh, including the one that proposed a block and the rest of the validators on, on the ecosystem. Um, yeah. Yeah, Pretty all right, cool, cool. And like, um, so so what was the, the reasoning for that? And also what could have been a reasoning against that to like, like you, you probably ran some like some some models or like some some theory on like how that would play out in terms of okay what happens because I don't think there's any example of like another protocol doing that currently. Um, what were your considerations for and potentially against that as well? So we were studying Ethereum on how different actors were incentivized, and uh, we saw a lot especially in Ethereum governance, which is off-chain, that a lot of people, a lot of like the core development had to fight a lot of the features and the functionalities with the miners that were running the nodes. Um, so by creating the alignment of having the transactions fees be split, um, core teams could also have skin in the game um, and have protocol alignment, have alignment with the protocol in this case by getting half of the transaction fees. Because especially the ones that are the, the contracts that the user is interacting with, um, the owner of the contract will get 50% of the transaction fees. So then um, you, we were creating this sort of a marketplace um, structure where users will pay with their fees and uh, developers will provide their services, which will be the contract that they will be deploying on the decentralized application. Oh, I think you're muted, Ken. Sorry, guys. And uh, yeah, that's definitely interesting. And it's, it's a good point to note, like Rome wasn't built in a day. A lot of these concepts are, are the first of their kind that we're seeing 
implemented into a, a layer one chain here. So um, definitely commend you for taking the innovative approach here and, you know, time over progress at this point. And even, over time. Yep. even 1559, I don't know if you remember when initially when uh, the discussion started around having a fee market, uh, like a market for the for the fees on Ethereum, but there was a lot of uh, opposition initially from the miners. Um, and I think that also played into like, okay, users want a predictable fee, um, like a predictable market for their fees so that they can know how much, how much piece fees are spending or like they don't have to spend all these fees all the time without knowing if their transaction will succeed or not and relying on on um, uh, data analytic tools like uh, Ethereum gas station, for example, mm -hmm. uh, which is like, oh, this was the uh, average fee, the high fee or the minimum fee for the blocks that were like the last 100 blocks or, or so. Um, so by establishing a fee market, the user would be able to pay uh, a fee that was more um, predictable in a way. And um, there was a huge opposition from the miner community. And so that pretty much gave us a lot of insight about the, the dynamics between like users who wanted to pay less fees, developers that wanted to have predictable fees and then miners wanted to get more fees, you know? So like by creating alignment uh, in the protocol um, between all these three users, then we'll have like a more healthy protocol where like users will have more tokens and we'll have, we'll, we'll get more tokens by interacting with the network. Developers will get more tokens from all these users interacting with their applications. So the the more popular your application, the more transaction fees you were getting, and then you the more Evmos tokens you will get. And then the validators, which will get used like their um, their block rewards as usual. Yeah, it really is an incredible design. And talking some more about incentives and, and block rewards, uh, the inflation rate for year one is 150%, right? So we have 300 million issuance of Evmos tokens on year one. And then we had a Genesis supply of 200 million tokens, uh, making that 150% inflation over year one. Do you think this is going to create a massive sell pressure on the initial price of the token uh, due to the high inflation rate? Or there'll be counteractive measures on that? I think a lot of people would uh, will stake their tokens initially, also because it will provide a lot of um, security and utility and one of the things that we'll be working on this year in order to um, to not lower the security of the chain is to uh, work on uh, liquid staking and uh, not necessarily staking derivatives but also liquid staking um, kind of like the same thing that Lido is working but also applied to Cosmos chains uh, not necessarily EVM chains and then the other thing that we're working on that I think is going to be pretty innovative is giving allowance to applications to use the stake tokens uh, as collateral in their applications. So it's not that you're minting a new token, but you're putting your token already at stake um, 
that can be slashable um, if the validator like double signs or um, misbehaves. Um, you can also put those FMS tokens that are staked um, as collateral in a DeFi application. So if you if there's a liquidation on on the DeFi application, you can also slash those staked tokens. So you don't actually need to withdraw more tokens and then put those additional tokens as collateral. You can already put your tokens that are already staking and getting all, all this inflation uh, rewards um, as collateral in the DeFi application. So then kind of like serves, serves a, a double purpose without having to mint a new token. Now, now you're talking my language, yield on top of yield. That's what we like. Exactly. Here. It's more like uh, staking farming. Awesome. Yeah, cool. So in terms of like the like 40% of the block rewards are going to validators and stakers. Um, whereas like most other networks, they probably distribute like 80 to 100% to stakers. Um, like yeah. with that in mind or like in having the security of the network in mind, like did you get any feedback from validators so far? And like what are the um, considerations for like obviously like in, in terms of security, you, you just want to make sure that validators are compensated adequately to like to really secure the chain. Um, and is that like from from your initial impression that you have, like is forty percent uh, just just right, kind of, or um, any any other thoughts on that? Um, yes. So we talked with a few of the validators. Um, about this specific amount. Um, the concern was less specifically because for all the AVM transactions, the, the fees that you spend on interacting with smart contracts are way higher than with a regular Cosmos transaction because you need to pay for the gas on the AVM state machine. So while you're getting less percent on um, transactions that are getting on, on, sorry, on block rewards, on the block distribution, you're getting more um, allocations through the transaction fees. And that's why also we decided to have the minimum commission of 5% so that all the validators can get at least 5% of the, um, yeah, from the the commission from the transaction fees that go to the validator pool and that gets distributed into like each of the validators and delegators. Um, so, so that's one thing. Like, even though it's less than Cosmos Hub, it creates a like a healthier uh, ecosystem because you're aligning, as I mentioned, like validators, the the, the delegators who are also staking the users who are part of the usage incentives, and then you have the, the developers. So you're creating like a positive reinforcement where you're promoting the usage by giving the usage rewards to all the users that interact with this contract. This creates a positive reinforcement in the sense that you're incentivizing more uh, developers to deploy their contract more contracts means means more utility for the chain and then you have more users coming in and spending more transaction fees on the chain 
and so on and so forth, so that in the end, the validator will get the validators will get more transactions by creating this um, this cycle between users and developers as well. Cool. That that makes sense. Yeah. Um, did did you actually get any outside investments for for FMOS at all? Like, and uh, what is the like, can you estimate a VC share of tokens on the like initial token supply? Are there any like VCs involved at all? No, we don't have any VCs, and we haven't done any private sale from uh, from the uh, for the team or for or for the protocol itself. So no private investors for uh, the Evmos tokens. Um, we were funded through the proposal 44, as I mentioned, and we, since we're also core contributors of the Cosmos core ecosystem, we also got a grant from the ICF Foundation to get additional funding for the star system to be able to upstream or improvements directly to the Cosmos SDK and to IBC. Um, because um, we're supporting additional keys and we're support supporting additional functionality that wasn't available before in the Cosmos SDK. And through this uh, grant that we got from the Interchip Foundation, we are able to upstream this to the Cosmos ecosystem so that the rest of the ecosystem can also benefit from our work. And I, I guess an offshoot of this question, um, where does the initial seed liquidity come from? I, I'm assuming there'll eventually be uh, liquidity pools on Osmosis, other DEXs, so, maybe a Uniswap as well. Um, yeah, I we're not doing an LVP, um, the core team at least, and um, we're leaving that to the community. And I, I believe a few members of the ecosystem uh, are talking between them. Uh, yeah, like with the rest of the uh, Osmosis team and with Diffusion Finance, uh, so that once the chain restarts, they are able to provide the necessary liquidity for for the new all peoples between like say, Evmos and um, Cosmos, uh, Atom or yeah, Evmos and Osmo, etc. Um, yeah, they've been also talking directly to the Osmosis team um, in order to uh, to upstream all the UI components for Osmosis and for the Fusion, etc. So it's more like an ecosystem-wide effort more than a core team. We're not. We're only providing the like the media assets and the logos, etc. For for the <laughs> that's that's what we're doing in terms of providing liquidity. The the core team doesn't have um, the, the 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 core team allocation will be provided through the um, through the block rewards, and it's also uh, not staked at the moment. So we're not going to stake uh, in order to try to get the chain to stabilize and to get the validators a right kickstart of the chain and not to mess up with the with the um, validator set so yeah we're gonna we're gonna establish a 
a validator, like a delegation program for the EFMAS Foundation specifically for that. Cool. And uh, yeah, thank you for disclosing that. Seems like you guys will benefit from a decentralized network effect uh, that the community brings on in those areas. Um, so now getting into a juicy, juicy question here about direct drop. I know there's a lot of interest in the comments uh, from reading those that people want to know more about direct drop and, and maybe your thoughts on it. So direct drop was an interesting distribution model allowing for users of past popular Ethereum dApps, for example, like Uniswap, who have spent a lot in gas fees to be eligible for an Evmos drop claim. Um, now, as innovative as this model was, not everyone was able to claim their airdrop and start staking on day one which caused the ones who were able to claim in stake to be able to enjoy, in some cases, above a 7,000% APR, not APY, APR. And do you see this as fair activity and survival of the fittest? Or is this something that you personally see as an unfair advantage? So the chain itself, and so the, the main difference is that we only had three um, distribution events. Um, because the chain was live for four days, and then we have the um, the security upgrade that caused the chain to halt. Uh, and as opposed to, for example, the Cosmos Hub, who has a block distrib like the distributions is allocated on every block. We only had three uh, distribution events, so uh, like the last three days, because they only the claiming only started. Um, in the last three days. So the main thing was that we were we we're planning to launch the the dashboard um, that upcoming Monday um, with with it being live with the chain so that you could claim directly with your Kepler and with your MetaMask wallet. So the main thing that was missing was a MetaMask integration. And unfortunately the network started and some users who were able to follow some some live guides, some of them were mistakenly so that um, unfortunately also through because of the the bug that we had with Kepler or that Kepler had that incorrectly displayed uh, invalid addresses for Avmos, uh, some users were able to claim those tokens um, but allocated them to invalid addresses. So those funds were stuck. And that's why we had to do all this work in order to withdraw, to be able for those users to withdraw those balances out, etc. So um, some of them were able to claim correctly by following the specification. They didn't follow uh, the, the, the guides. And some of them were able to claim the tokens, but they were able to claim it to an invalid address um, because of this bug that I just mentioned on Kepler. And so the ones, the ones that kind of like it was as like a few issues that kind of like snowballed, uh, especially the Kepler one. The fact that we were going to launch the dashboard. Uh, early next, the, the following week, and uh, some of these, uh, some of these guys that some uh, members of the community made that was that were incorrect in the sense that um, they were distributing directly to invalid addresses. Uh, that made that less people were able to effectively claim, 
And so the APY was way higher because of that. Um, so I would say it was a series of events that was, it could be seen as unfair, but it was kind of like part of this situation that was kind of like messed up because of all these multiple issues that were merged into a single situation that was very hard for like the average user to claim their tokens. Um, but as I mentioned in different ways before, we're also looking to, once we restart, have the dashboard completely, have the dashboard be completely functional and have all the functionality ready so that everyone can claim and um, yeah, can claim their tokens. We were doing also some data analysis on the people that were able to claim. And I think there was like only one user that was able to claim right before the, the first allocation event. So um, when the claim started and when the, the distribution was allocated, I think it was like within the same block, the guy was able to claim on stake uh, by crafting a like a multi trans like a multi message transaction, so that the transaction succeeded, and then he was able to claim all the tokens. Um, I think that was the only person that was able to claim a hefty amount of uh, of tokens. Um, so far, we haven't seen any um, kind of like major amount, more or less. Cool. Yeah, we've, we've been doing quite. Yeah, we've been doing some quite quite some data analysis on that recently, and that's why we've been also delaying because we wanted to make sure, based on data, that the decision that we're moving forward with us, um, with this uh, restart, is to write the right decision uh, based on the data we have. Cool. So I, I think that this already answers like uh, a lot of the questions from the chat here as well. We're asking about the current status of the mainnet and when is it going to relaunch? Um, like just to, to recap, is there like any like expected timeline for this or like right now you're just doing like, yeah, fixing a lot of that stuff and make the, the dashboard pretty functional and um, like, yeah, doing some data and all this or um, is there any more information you could share on like the expected yeah. relaunch? Yeah. So t uh, last Friday, we've uh, finally uh, finished implementing all the protocol implementations that we wanted for the IVC withdraw. So like the functionality to be able to withdraw all the stock funds. And we also fixed the bugs and implemented some um, invariants for the claims um functionality so all the chain um the core changes on the on on the protocol are finally implemented and today the team is working on on different reviews uh after that we're gonna release a um a new alpha version uh to test locally uh i think it's gonna be um the next few days for internal testing and then also roll out a public testnet with all the changes. Um, also the dashboard 
is now fully functional and we only need to test the withdrawal functionality that hasn't been um, released yet. So that's one of the other QA process that we need to do as part of this internal testnet. And yeah, then we'll be able to restart the test, the, the chain as soon as we complete all those internal testnet and public testnet. Um, cool, so cool. Users will be able to estimate when the chain will go live based on when this public testnet emerges and the findings from that. So it'll be a pretty obvious cue to everyone when this is starting to roll. Um, and I just wanted to, before we get into the community questions, this is also a community question from KG user there. Um, <clears throat> the big question on everyone's mind, if you could, if you have the answer for us, if you could just please disclose, are you going to reset or are you going to continue from the second to last block there? Um, unless we find data that supports the case for re resetting to height zero, uh, which we haven't found so far. As I mentioned, there was only this user that was able to uh, claim and stake the tokens uh, in the same height, um, like the same height that was like the claims, um, that the claim started, which was one day after the chain started. Um, uh, we haven't seen enough data in order to back the the, the reset from zero. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's the answer I can give right now. Um, our team is also still working on, on some data analysis on the few, uh, the, the first few days in order to back this uh, assumption and we'll be able, and we'll be providing all the data uh, to the rest of the community so that they can also verify the data um, themselves. Awesome. All right, cool. Yeah, that's that's good news for him then. Um, and like going into some of the other community questions here, um, like Marty OG is asking when will FMOS be available on uh, centralized or decentralized exchanges, and which ones? Do you have any any insights or anything? I know I know some people that have uh, tokens already on osmosis ready to create the liquidity pool, but they haven't done it because there's no UI yet. Um, so I guess as soon as we restart the the connection with, between the osmosis chain and Evmosis reestablished, um, I would expect community members to start opening the liquidity pools on osmosis and diffusion and the rest of the uh, AMMs on uh, FMOS. Awesome. So Osmosis will probably be one of the first dominoes to fall once the chain restarts there. And uh, yep. next question here from Jamie.t. Uh, wanted to know more about what was the Proposal 44 that initially funded your team? Yeah. So Proposal 44 was the proposal that we created in order to uh, fund the work of Etherman, which was the, the longstanding project that I mentioned was created in uh, 2016 that passed from from team to team. And we wanted to finally finish the project, the Ethermain project. And um, 
yeah, so we created a governance proposal on the Cosmos Hub in order to fund the team. And then we decided to rerun to Atmos because we wanted to uh, expand the the original vision that Ethermin had. So we left Ethermin as the name of the library that we are using. Um, so the development library is called Ethermin, but the name of the protocol and the chain that we are launching is called Atmos. So internally, Atmos uses Ethermint, which is the old name. Cool. So if anyone's diving deep into the docs, maybe you'll find uh, that name pop up then, the library. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it was uh, really great having you here on the episode today, Federico. And if uh, you could please give the audience a best place where they can find you and some of the learn more about the stuff you're working on here. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter. F.E. Kunze, um, and then you can also find our team, Atmos.org, on Twitter and also Discord, so uh, on Telegram. And uh, Discord, you can find us, discord.gg slash Atmos, so you can find our core team members and you can talk to us directly um, on Discord. Yeah, definitely want to keep up with these guys on Twitter, Telegram, and Discord. Uh, keep for ears tuned for the next update when that public testnet will become available and mainnet will launch soon after, it seems. So awesome. Thank you for all the insights today. For everyone watching, you can check out previous episodes of Staking Rewards on YouTube and Spotify. We have previous guests like Michael Kong of Phantom, Sonny Agarwal, and many other leaders in the staking space. So please subscribe, hit that notifications bell if you don't want to miss any new episodes leave some comments and feedback, and let us know who you'd like to see on the next episode of Staking Mondays. Thank you so much for watching. As always, happy staking. Thanks, Federico. Thanks, Marco. Bye. Take care, guys. Thanks, everyone. Happy staking.